If any of you guys are awake, it's a miracle. <laughs> it's been a long afternoon. Uh, so believe me, I'm liable to fall asleep in my own talk. So if things go quiet for a minute or two, just shout loudly or something and I'll wake up again, okay? So anyway, all right. This morning, we were thinking about the fact that DNA is what makes us all the same, 99% the same, everybody in this room and on the rest of the planet. However, what about the remaining 1%? The remaining 1% of our DNA is the bit that makes us all different. Male and female, blue or brown eyes, hair or no hair, athletic or musical, big feet or small feet, all those things that give us our distinctive look and appearance, those are down to our DNA as well. Amazing. That 1% of our DNA is what makes every human being on the planet unique. And we were thinking about this morning how there's a sort of a spiritual DNA. And in John's letter, we read this, 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. I love, I love the bit that John does that because this is no longer a metaphor now. To be the children of God, that's not a metaphor. Lots of the stuff in the New Testament are because John said that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Just like we inherit our DNA from our parents, 50% from each of our parents, so we inherit spiritual DNA from our spiritual father. And what John is saying there is that the reality is just as happens in life, the older you get, the more you get like your parents, which I reckon is just, I mean, you've got to get your own back in your children in some way. So basically, the older they get, the more they find themselves thinking that they're like you. I've, I have two brothers and a sister. Both my brothers are ministers and my brother-in-law is a minister. I tell everybody there's nobody normal in my family. And one of my brothers, Peter, who's a minister in Muckamore, every time I see Peter preach, I don't see Peter preach, I see my dad preach. He is so like him, it's unbelievable. And that's what happens. The older you get, the more you find yourself getting like your parents. And that's what happens with our spiritual DNA. And our father's DNA is rich, and every child of God is indeed unique. And the scripture has another metaphor which reflects this. The metaphor that reflects the 99% of our DNA which makes us all the same is that we are the bride of Christ. The metaphor that reflects the fact that 1% of our DNA makes us all different is the metaphor of this one. 1 Corinthians 12 and 27, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And we all know this metaphor. We're familiar with it, perhaps more familiar than the one we talked about this morning. The idea that the church is supposed to function like a body in which each individual is a different part is one that we're familiar with. And the theory is wonderful. Because as Paul points out, if we get that, we get the point that every single person in the church is significant. No matter who they are and what they do, everyone is significant because each Organ in the body, each limb in the body, each part of the body has a specific role to play. And all of us, whether we're up front or down the back, it doesn't actually matter. We are all significant. And it encourages unity and cooperation in the mission of the Father. That's the theory. The reality, however, is often very different from that because difference brings challenges. It brings challenges. 
in lots of ways. And I, I could talk about loads of things that, that have got to do with the body of Christ, but I just want to talk about one thing this afternoon. And Jasper's already mentioned it earlier um, during his seminar. I want to talk about the fact that one of the things that we share, which, which is different about us in the life of the church, is the issues that surround age. Because age determines all sorts of things. I took up cycling about 18 months ago. And up to that point in time, I hadn't been on a bike for probably almost 40 years. And, um, but it's become a bit of a thing in our church. Loads of, of younger men mostly have taken it up. And uh, so I don't, I don't lack for cycling companions, all right? And encouraged by my progress in the first year or so, I signed up to ride the Grand Fondo in, Ju in June earlier this year. Okay, the 58-kilometer ride, I hasten to add, all right? not the 178-kilometer one. I read the, rode the 58-kilometer ride, okay? And uh, my son, who's up here leading worship, he rode the 178-kilometer ride, but you know what I loved about the Grand Fondo? I got the same medal he did. <laughs> it's just exactly the same. It wasn't any different, okay? Which is really cool. There were 950 people rode the race I was in. I was 411th. Actually, that wasn't that bad because I only have been riding that long, so I, I felt pretty good about that. But here's what's really good. In my age category, which is 60 and over, I was 24th. Yeah, yeah I thought that was really cool. I was 24th. And actually, I noticed something else. Um, when I'm out riding, I kind of upload my rides to Strava, and I kind of look at where I am on the, on, on the segments I normally ride, and it's thoroughly depressing. But one day, my son said to me, Dad, you, you should check you should filter it by age and see. And so I, I did that. I did that a few months ago, and I filtered some of my favorite segments that I ride quite a lot. I discovered in some of them in my own age category, I'm third or fourth, and that is really cool, believe me. So, so age is one of those things that affects who we are and what we do, and, and it affects the life of the church as well, you know, because let's face it, as you get older, it brings all sorts of things into your life. And some way, the only way we can manage this difference in the church is almost total separation. The generations go their own way. And it shouldn't be this way, and it doesn't need to be. See, I, I, when I took up riding to start, I rode a bit with Dave, but like he's in another league from me, and, and quite honestly, I know when I'm riding with him, I'm basically only keeping him back. Um, but then, a few months after this, my younger son, Matt, decided to buy a bike, and he took up riding, and I, I've been out with him a few times, and he hasn't ridden for years and years and years. So actually, for the first few months when I was riding with him, I was actually better than him. And I, there aren't too many people half my age that I'd be better than. So I, I really quite enjoyed that for a while. And so we would go out to ride together, and it was great. And I was usually ahead of him, and I could stay ahead of him, and I could go in front and kind of break the wind for him. It was brilliant. But I began to notice after a couple of months that actually there's no replacement for young legs. And he was kind of getting better than me. And so I said to him one day, look, Matt, I get it. Okay, I'm probably holding you up. Now, you really need to go out and ride with Dave, some of the other younger guys from church, because you're, you're capable of it now. You're a good rider. You could do it. And he said to me, Dad, I don't want to do that. One of the reasons why I bought the bike was because I wanted to ride with you. And how can we get to that point in the church? How can we get to that point in the church? where instead of having to decide to live almost separate lives, you know, the older folks and the younger folks, but we get to the point where actually we want to do this, we want to do this together. 
Jasper's already pointed out how important this is right now, but I, I, just something I want you to notice about the text he read. Because when the New Testament picks up that Old Testament theme that he mentioned, it was right at the end of the book of Malachi, picked up in the New Testament in, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 1, okay, and the, the angel is talking to Zechariah to tell him about what is going to happen with the child that he's going to be given, okay? And, it, and this is what he says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want you to get that last phrase, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Because what he's telling us is this, that a people prepared for the Lord, a people who are both the bride and the body of Christ, are a people among whom age difference is a blessing. Age difference is a blessing. That was one of the extraordinary features of Paul's ministry. Throughout his work, he partnered with a series of people younger than himself. I, I want to I look at one of those friendships just shortly now as we finish. The friendship between Paul and Timothy. Paul met Timothy in Lystra on the second missionary journey. He circumcised him and took him with him on the mission. And in the story of the early church, we see Paul giving this young guy, Timothy, responsibility and sending him to various places in Paul's name and in Paul's place. And he gets, he gets a mention when Paul writes to the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Philemon. He's mentioned in all of those letters. And twice, Paul wrote a specific letter directly to him. And out of all these references to Timothy, and I haven't got time to pick up everything, there's so much in there, and I encourage you just to, to, just to go home. If you are one of the people who does uh, what we were talking about earlier in, in, um, this morning when Roy said he prefers paper Bibles to digital Bibles, okay, paper Bibles are great, but you know what's really great about digital Bibles? You can search for words in them, and they come up in about a millisecond. Type Timothy in and look for the references, and then see how often those references to Timothy also refer to Paul. Have a look at it later. I can't cover it all, but I'm going to cover part of it now. So look at just two things, okay? Two things about the DNA of older, younger relationships in the Scripture. We are different because we're older and younger. The guys that are younger, faster, fitter, leaner, sharper, all the rest of it. But there's still something we need to pick up here in this relationship and here's, here's the first one. I want to look at Paul, first of all, and then at Timothy. I want you to notice two things. First, in the relationship, is this. First, I want you to notice Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle has a, has a special relationship with Timothy, okay? 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And in the second letter, it says a bit more, to Timothy, my dear son, I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands." Timothy was a disciple before Paul met him. 
We already know that because it says in Acts 16, Paul came to Derby and Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but his father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So when Paul first comes across Timothy at Lystra, Timothy is already a Christian. So the bond between Timothy and Paul was not that special bond which occurs between the evangelist and the person who comes to faith through their ministry. And, and, and if you've been in that situation, if you're like me, you get the chance to do this sort of stuff, or if you're like me, uh, later tonight when I'm going to be sitting down a small, small group uh, on an alpha course and, and dealing with just six or seven people I'm getting to know intimately, in whatever circumstance it is, somebody comes to faith in the midst of that, there is a bond established there which lasts and lasts and lasts, but it wasn't the bond between Timothy and Paul. Rather, it was a father-son kind of thing. We, we read this. Paul talks about how it was that the bond that they had together was the apostolic touch that Timothy on Timothy's life that Paul had had. The gift of God, Paul says, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What you've got to get is this. Paul the apostle was carrying something. There was something on his life and on his ministry. It says in Acts 10.11, when Paul was in Ephesus, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Paul was carrying something. There was something on his life. The Holy Spirit had been poured into him in an incredible way so that even people who touched things that had touched Paul got healed. And what Paul was carrying, he passed on to Timothy. It didn't make Timothy the same as Paul. It didn't make him the same. It's a father-son thing. Paul remarks on how this works when he writes to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 4. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. There was something about Timothy which was reminiscent of Paul, even though it wasn't Paul himself. And whatever was on Paul's life, whatever it was that he had received from the Spirit of God, he passed on to Timothy so that when people saw Timothy, they kind of remembered Paul somehow or another. And this action of Paul was part of a wider feature of his life. It wasn't only true of his relationship with Timothy. But when he writes to the church in Rome, he says in Romans 1.11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. I, I want to give you something. God has given something to me. I want to give it to you. Now, Paul came from the church in Antioch. After he became a believer and he, he went away for a number of years into, into solitude and, and, and he wasn't seen and he wasn't active in the church, Barnabas went looking for him and brought him to Antioch. And Antioch was an incredible church. And Paul led there and Paul had ministry there. But although Paul came from the church at Antioch, Paul's view wasn't restricted to what was going on in the church at Antioch. He had a much wider view than that. His focus was on resourcing and encouraging the church wherever he could find it and wherever he could plant it. And as part of that ministry, he invested in younger people to see that happen, of whom Timothy was one. And I want to suggest to you for a moment that although apostolic ministry may be lots of other things, this is one thing it also is. 
It is ministry that invests in younger people to enable them to lead the church. And if you're here today and you're an older man, and I count you therefore in my category, okay, so I'm over 60. I don't know where the dividing line comes, but let's say today, let's, let's not offend Jasper, okay? Let's say 40's the dividing line, okay? So he still gets to stay with the young people, all right? So if you're over 40 and you're here today, you're getting into midlife, and soon old age will be creeping up on you, and you'll look as terrible as I do, okay? That's what's in front of you. Be glad. So if you're in that category, I want to suggest to you that older men need to become apostolic in that sense. I know that some of you will immediately object and say, hold on a wee minute, you know, okay, so the office of apostle is no longer occupied in the church in this generation and so on. I'm not going to get into an argument about apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors, okay? That's not for now. Just hear me about this aspect of it. Something badly needs to change in the church, and that change starts, as Jasper said, with the hearts of the fathers. The spirit of apostleship is the spirit of adventure, and it should be in the hearts of older men. Isn't that what the prophetic word said about what would happen when the Holy Spirit was poured out? Quoted from the prophecy of Joel in Acts chapter 2 in the report on the day of Pentecost. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams. Your old men will dream dreams. Being an apostolic leader is about adventure. It's about having dreams. It's about the big picture. And some of you sitting here today, you used to. You used to dream. You used to see a bigger picture outside of the organization or the parish or the congregation or whatever it is that, that you're particularly involved in. You used to see that the church of God was bigger than that, but not now. And you used to carry something. It was on your life, but not now. What happened? Well, mostly what you tend to hear when you ask that question is, why is somebody who used to be really up there for Jesus and really out there and dreaming dreams and doing stuff, and then it all dies. You ask somebody what happened, and they'll, they'll generally tell you, oh, well, sin or failure or those sorts of things came in, and, and, and that was the end of that. You know what, guys? Even the people who are leading forward on it and that God is using right now are still sinful people. I'm not saying the sin isn't significant. Of course it is, but very often it's not the reason why the dream dies. Do you know why the dream dies? Dream dies for this reason. What God gives only remains if you give it away. What God gives only remains if you give it away. I know that doesn't make sense. It's the exact opposite of the way the world works, but we're talking the kingdom of God here. And this is how God plans for things to be. And what happened was you kept it to yourself. You know that BB company you've been captain of for 40 years? Why have you been captain of that BB company for 40 years? You're an elder in the church. You were doing when you're 25 and you're 65 now and you're still doing the same job. Why are you still doing that same job? It wasn't meant to be like that. And what actually happens is there's something on your life and you're carrying it and people see it and they point you to positions of responsibility and you keep on doing it because, of course, nobody else can do it as good as you do. And then you wonder why coming behind you there's nobody else and, well, I've got to keep doing it now because if I gave up, who would take over from me? Whose fault is that? It's your fault. 
God gave you someone. You didn't give it away. You kept it to yourself. And over and over again, this is the challenge that meets people like me, in my work, in my job, to, to learn that there comes a time to surrender some things and to invest in a younger generation and to give them the opportunity to do it. And if God has put something on my life, it's my responsibility to give it away. You know, I sometimes look at the photographs in the magazine of my denomination, Presbyterian. I'm sorry, I've always been one. I can't help it. I look at the photographs in my denominational magazine of the ordination of elders. It's truly depressing. Seriously. I'm sorry if you've been elected in the last few months and you've just had your photograph in the Herald. <laughs> it's truly depressing. Because almost universally, without exception, it is a photograph of men in gray suits. Yeah? That's what it looks like. Okay, men in gray suits. And then I think about somebody like Nelson Mandela. By the time he got out of prison and took over the leadership, not of a local church, but of a whole nation. And every time you saw him on the television, he had a bright, flowery shirt and a smile on his face, excited about what he was doing, and loads of young people all around him. And I'm thinking to myself, was the Apostle Paul more like those people in the photograph in the Presbyterian Herald, or was he more like Nelson Mandela? <laughs> See, I think he was more like Nelson Mandela. And all you guys who are my age, you don't have to wear flowery shirts, okay? Just don't stop panicking about that. But you know what, guys? For us, if we don't start giving away what God gave us, we're going to lose it anyway. But if we learn to start giving it away, then whatever it is he has put in our lives can, can, can infect and ignite a new generation of people. Far more can ever be achieved, you know? And if I keep on doing the same stuff for 40, 50, 60 years, it's not the way it's meant to be. Paul was an apostle. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be an adventurer, to be a person with vision who still dreams dreams, okay? Moses was arrested by a burning bush at 80 years of age. A fire that had long since extinguished in his life was relit that day. Because when he had been 40, he had a dream at 40. He had a dream to deal with the injustice that his people faced. And, and he, he set out to do something about it, but he did it on his own. And, 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 and he kept it to himself, and he made a complete horlicks of it. And he ended up looking after sheep for 40 years in the wilderness. And it wasn't until he was 80 years of age that the dream got relit. And whatever previously was on Moses' life was reborn. And that can happen. It can happen here today. People my age. But as, Phil Ever as I heard Phil Emerson say it, someone I was at not so long ago, I wonder how many bushes he walked past in 40 years before he finally saw that one. Paul the Apostle, there is a call on the lives of older men to be apostolic, to have a wider vision, to have something on your life that you give away, that you invest in other people. But then there was Timothy the leader. 
Timothy the leader. You see, the point about it was at this stage in his life, Paul didn't do detail anymore. Older men can't do detail. They don't remember. I struggle to remember the names of my family. <laughs> Ask them. They'll tell you. When you get older, you work more slowly. Why is it you know that it seems to take far longer to get things done? You don't understand how things work nowadays. You know, you look around you, the world is a complete, like it's just unbelievable. Although I am learning that that's relative because in our staff meeting the other day, I had the joy of watching my son have revealed to him his true age. When one of our interns, we were talking about how we would organize Secret Santa for our Christmas staff get together and uh, he made the suggestion that we would, we, we, would, we would do this thing, and that was great. And one of our young interns said, okay, I'll organize it. And Dave looked at her, and he said, right, okay, email. She said, what, email, email? Why would I do email? No, she said, do it by text. There's a program you can get. Sets the whole thing up. Absolutely brilliant. For once in my life, I saw Dave feel the way I felt for all the years I've been working with him in church. So it's a relative thing, okay? You don't have to be as old as me to see this happen, all right? But anyway, the point about it is that young people do detail really well. They're good at it. So Paul gets Timothy to do the detailed stuff. And it's quite a trust he gives him. All these churches he sends Timothy to, they, they weren't just like any old churches. These were churches that were on Paul's heart, okay? Many of them he had planted himself. He knew individuals within them. They had come to faith through his ministry. He cared about. These were the churches he said, constantly I bear on my heart the burden of all the churches, okay? So these churches are important to him. What does he do? He sends Timothy to them, do the detailed stuff. And he sets Timothy's ministry beside his own. I love this. 1 Thessalonians 3. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. He sets Timothy's ministry right there alongside his own. He's not an underling. He's not somebody I'm commanding and he's doing what I tell. He sets him right there. He's my co-worker. We're in partnership in this deal. And he encourages Timothy to value his own ministry highly and to work at it. Don't let anyone look down on you, he says in 1 Timothy 4, because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and life and purity. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Value your ministry. I see so many older leaders in church, they look at younger people, they roll their eyes. Well, what would they know anyway? You know, look at them, it's pathetic. And I see that attitude so often. It was not the attitude of Paul. He encourages Timothy to see his ministry higher than that. He expects the same outcomes from Timothy's ministry as he expects from his own. If you do what I'm telling you to do, Timothy, then you'll save yourself and you'll save your hearers. And he expects Timothy to work things out for himself. He doesn't hand it to him on a plate. 2 Timothy 2.7, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. You've got to work this out for yourself, Timothy. I'm not there on the ground right now. You're doing the detailed stuff, so you do it. None of this was easy. Timothy was Paul's appointee, not a person called by the local church to exercise this role. And, And that makes him really difficult. Nobody likes the outsider who comes in and he seems to know more than you do. Nobody likes that. So it wasn't easy for Timothy to do this. 
And Paul tells Timothy to face the challenges. In 1 Timothy 5, he says, look, you've got to deal with older men. You've got to deal with younger men, older women, younger women, widows, elders. He lists them all there for him. Nor was this easy because Timothy, in terms of his natural character and background, wasn't up for this kind of stuff. Timothy's personality, Paul says to him, I remind you, he says, to fan and to flame the gift of God for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Tim Timothy was naturally timid. His physical constitution, 1 Timothy 5, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Timothy's upbringing. Timothy was brought up in a good home, you know, and they had good attitudes to stuff, and they didn't mix with the wrong crowd. Certainly wouldn't have hung about with Keith. No chance. And, and, and yet, he's, he's kind of in your earlier years. And so, <laughs> and so, here he is being led and encouraged by this guy, Apostle Paul. Where is Paul? Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison right now. You don't get involved with people like that if you grew up as Timothy grew up. And Paul has to say to him, yet this is no cause for shame because I know him I believe and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day for 2 Timothy 1. I could go on. Timothy was the detail man. Timothy was the one who understood the generation Paul was trying to reach. And he was good. He was good at what he did. Paul says in Philippians 2, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy was good at the detailed stuff. Young men, And for Jasper's sake, if you're under 40, you get to consider yourself as young. Young man, God calls you to leadership. He calls you to leadership. He calls you to leadership inside the church where you are now. Timothy didn't get to do church with his best friends. You know why? Because Paul kept sending him away to other places. Every time they made friends and somebody new came along and they got invested with Paul's encouragement and so on, next thing you knew, Paul was sending them off to Thessalonica whenever Timothy was in Ephesus. He never got to do church with his mates. He was always working in places where he was having to be the leader, and that was difficult. But Paul just kept on expecting Timothy to find a way. That's why he laid hands on him. That's why he laid hands on him so that he could impart something of the Spirit God had given to him, to this young man, and then said, right, I need you to lead in these churches. I need you to make something happen here. I need you to get these people to go from where they are to a better place. And that's why we're all different. That's why we want to rejoice the 1% of our DNA that makes us all different. Because every person in Christ brings unique skills, experience, insights, energies to the Christian faith and to the work and life of the local church. Otherwise, more Christians would just mean bigger numbers. And that's no good. I mean, the point about the church is this. The church is not like an orc army. It's not like an army 
of Empire Stormtroopers, every single one of them looks exactly the same. Because in the army that God is building, every single one looks different. And every single one brings different skills, abilities, influences, and energies to the table. And the lack you lament in your local church, those of you who are young, is locked up in your own life. It's locked up in your own life. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Get on with the job. Do the business. Deal with the older men and the younger men and the older women and the younger women and the widows and the elders. Sort it out, Timothy, because it's in your life. And I know lots of you who are younger today are, are discouraged in the churches that you're in. I get emails and text messages from you all the time. And I know how bad and difficult things can be, especially in some of the mainstream denominational churches in Northern Ireland. I know all about that, believe me. But here's the reality. It's never going to change unless some of you guys step up to leadership. That's the deal. When you step up to leadership, something incredible happens, you see, because you're not only just, this is where it isn't an issue of separation between the ages, you know, because in churches they really think, well, it's really good to get young people leading the young people, you know. But that, Timothy, Timothy didn't lead young people. Timothy led the church. He led the church. Here, here's, here's the amazing thing, okay, that when it comes to the life of the local church, it's very often the leaders who lead the apostles. It's the guys who understand the local situation, who get the detail, that are the people that encourage the older guys with the dreams to do the stuff. You see, you young people who are looking at the older leaders in your church and thinking, these guys don't know what they're doing. These guys don't understand the world we live in. Actually, some of that might be true, some of it's possibly not true. Do you know what's really wrong? Sometimes with those older leaders, they're scared. They're scared. They know they need to change. They know that things can't go on the way they're going. But this is the way it's been since they've been so young they can't remember when. And although part of their heart says to us, we want to make a move here, we want to see God work here, they're scared. So what is going to enable them not to be scared? What is going to be the influence that is going to say to them, right, okay, we can, we can take a bigger vision here. We can have a wider dream. Actually, that's going to be you who's going to do that. When I sat down myself to ride the Grand Fondo last June, I was really scared of the first part of the ride. Because when we came up out of Belfast, we had to ride up the hill to Castle Ray and uh, right up to the top where the cemetery is. And then from there on, actually, it was really cool because it was pretty much downhill for the next, the next about 15 miles. It was great. But, but actually, you had to do this one really large climb all the way up to the top. And I, I, I drive up that all the time doing funerals. And, and I, you're driving up in a car, and I'm thinking to myself, I've got to ride up this. There's no chance. And I can't, what I was actually worried about was the shame and embarrassment of having to get off the bike halfway up the hill because I'm thinking I couldn't cope with that. You know, I'd probably rather have a heart attack and be whisked off in an ambulance than actually have to get off and walk. I wouldn't, but that's okay, I'm exaggerating there. So, so I'm really panicking about this, and I had thought that a few of the weeks leading up the race, I'd take the bike over to that end of town, and I'd ride it just to see if I could do it. But I never got the time to do it, and the rides, practice rides I was doing on my own end of town, couldn't really figure out whether any of the hills I was climbing were as steep as what I had imagined Castle Ray is. And the day before the race, I'm moaning about this, 
because I do a lot of moaning. And, and Dave is, is with me, and he, sa- he, he said to me, look, Dad, he said, for goodness sake, give over about the hill. He said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to ride that hill from the bottom to the top, and when you get to the top, you're going to get so much confidence out of it, you're going to be able to ride the, re- you're going to be able to ride the rest of the race. And he said it like that too. <laughs> the Grand Fondo was the longest distance I ever rode to that point in time. It was more climbing than I'd ever done before, and I did it in a faster average speed than I'd ever ridden, because he was right. I rode the whole way up the castle I climb, and when I got to the top, I thought, wow, I just did that. The rest of it was a piece of cake. But it was, if you like, a prophetic word that set me up for that. And you guys who are young here, that's your role. That's the prophetic role that you can occupy with all those scared and frightened older leaders who are around you who genuinely have the Lord's heart and they want to do the right thing and they know the church needs to change and they want to see people come to faith. It's what they're all about. They just don't know how to do it and they're scared. What they need is leaders who will stand up and give the prophetic word, stand beside them and work with them because in the church of Jesus Christ, the church that is both the bride and the body of Christ, age difference is a blessing and not curse. We're going to reflect that now in, in, in the final part of worship. The band are going to come here in a minute, and, and here's what we're going to do, okay? Because I love us just to finish with this challenge today and, and to kind of encourage one another with it. I can't do exactly what I want to do because apparently if you're sitting in the middle of those rows, you can't get out. So here's what we're going to do. Um, the band are going to start to play in a minute and um, quietly. And when they do so, okay, if you're an older leader in the house today, and that, for, for the purposes of today, that's anybody over 40, all right, sorry about that, but just get over yourself. And if you're over 40, okay, and you want to kind of make a commitment now to be more apostolic in your approach, to have a wider view, to begin to take whatever it is the Lord has laid on your life and to start to share it with others, then I, I'd like you to stand, Okay. And if you're a younger person, which again, for the purposes of today, is those under 40, um, then, and you want to give yourself to leadership in your local church, okay? To leadership in your local church. And that means including you leading people much older than yourself. Then I'd, I'd love you to stand as well. And then what we're going to do is this, okay? When you stand and you look around you, there's going to be people in different age groups standing. And, and here's what needs to happen then. You, you, you're not going to be able to move about very much, but try your best to do this as far as you can. I want somebody in the younger category to pray for the older guys standing, and I want somebody in the older category to pray for the younger guys standing. Is that okay? So look around you, people who are standing beside you. Is there anybody not in your age group that you could pray for? And if you can't get anybody not in your age group to pray for, then just pray for each other, all right? But it would be really brilliant if we could do this across the ages just now. So as the band starts to play, okay, I'm just going to pray, and then I need you to do this quickly, okay? Don't do what they do in my church. Every time I ask people to get up during a song, they wait the very last word of the song before they get up. So don't do that, okay? Get up right away, and then you'll be prayed for. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for what we learn from the relationship of Paul and Timothy so much more that we can mine from that. Help us, Lord, as we search these scriptures for ourselves. But thank you, Father, that you have called some to be apostles. I pray, Lord, that older men in this room can begin to have a more apostolic form 
of leadership upon their lives. That they may take the bigger picture, Lord. And that whatever it is you have given to them, they will accept the responsibility of giving it away. Bless them, Lord, as they commit themselves to that. And for those who are younger and whom you are calling to leadership now, to be a prophetic voice in their fellowship, in their church, not only to their own generation, but to the generations behind and above them. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit now to equip them for that, to cause them to be Timothy's, resourced and blessed by older people, but determined, Lord, to be leaders themselves. Raise up a generation, Lord, we pray. Raise up a generation in your name we ask. Jesus' name. So would you please stand, try to find somebody who's not in your age group to pray for while the band plays quietly.